you want to turn in your Bibles, it's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. It's page 816 in the House Bible. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is God's word, it is true, and it is given out of his love for you. You may be seated. Thanks, Emily. That was great. Yeah, and thanks again to everyone who did take a shoebox to fill it with toys. And if you have a chance to give online, that would be a wonderful way to bless so many of these families that we care about and love here in the school that's been such gracious hosts for us uh, the last, uh, what is it, seven years we've been meeting here or some, some distance like that. So it's great to be worshiping with all of you today, just singing those carols as we got started. It's just a, a profound reminder of, of why it is that we gather is because Jesus has loved us enough to come for us. And then out of response of his love for us, we want to respond and worship and sing singing praises and studying his word together. And so, so we're in the season of Advent. I don't know if you grew up in a church that uh, did the Advent or if you're new to this whole concept of Advent. It just is this Latin word that means coming or arrival. And so when there is an important person who is arriving, it's a part of our duty to prepare for their arrival. If you have a house guest coming to stay with you, you're going to take the time to clean your house and make preparations for their arrival. And as Christians, we want to spend the four weeks leading up to Christmas to prepare our hearts not only for the arrival of Jesus as a baby on Christmas morning, 2,000 years ago, but also for his arrival as the conquering king when he returns at the end of time and puts uh, uh, order and justice once and for all to all of the universe. And so as we do that heart of preparing for his arrival, normally in December we spend all our time discussing uh, like uh, Luke 2 or, or Matthew 1, these different uh, birth passages that talk about who Jesus is. Uh, and instead of us focusing this year on Jesus as a baby, we thought it would be important for us to instead focus on who he is at his heart, who it, what it means for him to love us enough to come come to earth to die for us. And so that's why on your table, there's all those gentle and lowly books. Hopefully you had the chance to take one of those home with you and read it. If you, if you haven't, please take that as our gift. Uh, if, if you're not caught up, if you're not on chapter 19 today, that's fine. Uh, but just make sure that you do spend some time over December and January reading through that slowly, meditating on it. And the reason that's important is because we all as humans have this tendency to start to believe that God is somehow disappointed in us. To, to, to think the longer that we are followers of Christ and our sins start to stack up again, we start to feel that maybe God doesn't actually love us. Maybe he more of puts up with us and endures us instead of actually having an affectionate heart for us. And that's why we're studying this amazing passage in Matthew 11 because it's this beautiful reminder that, that the most important truth in the world, Jesus does genuinely and actually love you. He, he has an affection in his heart that is over you. When you come to him in faith, when you repent of your sins, when you turn to him and ask him to be your savior, everything is washed clean and there is never a blemish that can return to your soul. You are completely sanctified and holy in Christ and because of that, he loves you enough to have his heart beating for you, to be to coming for you with his affection. And so our, our goal with this series is simple. It's uh, come to Jesus and experience his love. And that's what we wanna do every single week that we gather is return to Jesus and experience his love deeper. And so the, the reason I know that it's important for us, especially this time of year, is we can get so caught up in the busyness of the season that our heart begins to be overwhelmed with anxiety and our bodies are characterized by activity. And so the anxiety that we feel is this, this deep down fear that somehow we worry that maybe we're not enough. We worry that maybe God is actually uh, disappointed with us instead of full of love for us. And when we come to Jesus and we experience his love, it reminds us that he has already done everything that, he, uh, that we need him to 
do. And because of that, we don't need to feel this heavy weight, this yoke of legalism that says if we only try harder, God will love us. Instead, we can pull back and we can appreciate what Jesus has done for us and see that he's already done everything imaginable for us. And out of love for him, we can rest in his grace. And so, so this Christmas season, as you're, as you're baking and as you're shopping and as you're decorating and as you're going to parties and all those things can, can fill up your schedule and can fill up your heart with clutter, we want to take these Sunday mornings to just slow down, to meditate on these words from Jesus and to reflect on the fact that, that when he says to us, we can come to him, that's the most beautiful and necessary invitation that we have. Okay, the thing our souls long for more than anything else is these words from Jesus when he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we're going to spend one more Sunday morning meditating on that passage before we uh, return to that passage again on Christmas Eve. So we're going to get a lot of this passage, and it's going to be good for all of us. So let's pray, and then we'll study this word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, Matthew 11 and these three short verses that remind us that you loved us enough to come for us, uh, that you loved us enough to call us to yourself. Uh, you love us enough to s recognize when we are laboring and heavy laden, when we feel weighed down by the burdens of life, when our shoulders slump under anxiety and pressure, when our schedules are busy and out of whack and we're focused only on ourselves. God, in those moments, you love us enough to tell us to pause to hear your voice, to come to you and experience the rest that you offer. So I pray that this morning as we study these words, uh, that they would be more than words to us, that they would be nourishment for our souls, that our hearts would find their rest in you. And because of that, we would leave here more in love with you than when we came. It's your name we pray. Amen. So the last two weeks, we just talked about this, this need that we have, this need to come to Jesus, the fact that we're all weighed down by different burdens and heavy laden and, and our shoulders slump from these things that fill us with anxiety and make us try to work harder to prove that our lives matter. And at the end of that, last week, we saw that Jesus offers this invitation where he says, when you come to me, I will give you rest. And, and our souls respond deep down. I think we all recognize we need that rest that Jesus offers. And so we say, yes, Lord, sounds good. I would like to rest in you. So what, what do we do from here? And Jesus continues and says, well, if you want the rest that I offer, you need to take my yoke upon you. And we first scratch our heads a little bit. And we're like, that's a little bit bizarre. Not, not what I was expecting when you said rest. So maybe we need to understand what this yoke is. What is a yoke? And Jesus says, well, a yoke is a, it's a, a wooden contraption that would go around the neck of an oxen to hitch them to a plow or a wagon to make sure that they were corralled, that they couldn't do whatever they wanted. They stayed in line with their master. This yoke would force them to submit to whatever the plow driver wanted them to do. And it'd be a way of leveraging all of their energy and power for the most productivity possible for the person driving the oxen. And you start to scratch your head more and you're like, that doesn't sound like rest to me. A, a yoke sounds like a ton of work. How did, how did Jesus get so confused and go from offering rest to telling us to get into a yoke with him? That's where we're going to start off this morning because last week we talked about how the invitation of Jesus is conditional. When Jesus invites us to come to himself, he invites us on his terms, not ours. And so when we come to him and says that we will receive rest if we take his yoke upon ourselves, we need to understand what it means to have this yoke on our shoulders that Jesus is offering us. And so uh, a, a yoke, um, last time we talked about this passage, I think it was Elise Fox said, uh, why does Pastor Colbert keep talking about eggs all morning? And that's probably because I don't enunciate very well. It's not a yoke, it's a yoke. So it's, it's the oxen yoke that we're talking about. And the reason that's important is because historically in the first century when Jesus was saying this, it was very common for teachers and 
and religious leaders, particularly the Pharisees, to refer to their teachings as a yoke. Okay, it was a way of understanding life. It was a worldview. It was a way of processing all of reality. And when you followed a rabbi, it would be saying metaphorically, you were taking the yoke of that rabbi upon you. And so Jesus is speaking to all of these religious Jews who are saying that they, they have had the yoke of the Pharisees on them previously. Okay, so the Pharisees were the religious leaders and they are famous in the scriptures for being so legalistic and making so many rules and communicating that the only way close to Jesus is if you follow, all, or the only way close to God is if you follow all of these rules and do all of these things to earn his love and his affection for you. And Jesus is saying that yoke of the Pharisees is not what I'm offering you. He, later on in Matthew 23, Jesus describes these, the yoke of the Pharisees and says that they, the Pharisees, tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. He's saying that, that the religious pressure of legalism, this desire that we all have to think, if I work a little harder, God will approve of me. Jesus says that is a heavy burden that you were not meant to bear. His yoke is going to be different than the yoke of the Pharisees. I think a lot of us, uh, we hear this concept and we say, well, I'm not sure I want a yoke in general. I, I'm more in, involved in my own independence. I'm like that, that poem Invictus that we've all heard where, where the, the author says, I am the, I am the captain of my faith. I am the master of my soul. And we all hear that and deep down we're like, yes, that's the kind of independence and, and strong, rugged will that I have. I'm just going to put everyone's yoke aside. I'm going to be my own man, be my own woman. I'm going to do my own thing. But the truth is, no matter whether you take the yoke of the Pharisees or the yoke of Jesus or someone else, having no yoke is not an option. We are all in a yoke with someone already. The question is, are you yoked up with someone who cares about you and is actually going to do what is best for you? So if, so if your life is driven by this need for independence, then you have this yoke of independence on you and you will always be threatened in relationships because it will put constraints on you. Living in society will put constraints on your independence. Some of us are yoked up with this idea of success. And we think if I'm just successful, if I, if I advance my career, if my family uh, grows and is healthy and is attractive, then I will be successful. But there's always that yoke of failure waiting for you that says if you don't work hard enough, success will be unattainable. Some of us are, are yoked up with the idea of uh, relationships and approval. And we say if, I just, if I'm really nice, if I'm kind, if I do things for people, then people will approve of me. And that's the yoke we've taken upon ourselves. But there's always that threat of rejection, that if we don't work hard enough, eventually people will be upset with us and our God will fail us. There's all these different yokes out there. Again, having no yoke is not an option. We're all in yo a yoke of someone's. The question is, are we in the right yoke or not? And that's where in 1 John 5, uh, John, the disciple of Jesus, says, and Jesus' commandments are not burdensome. That's such a beautiful phrase. The commandments of God are not burdensome. When we are in his yoke, we do not experience the weight and the pressure and the anxiety that comes from every other yoke that we could submit to. And so that's the question. If we're going to yoke up with Jesus, it's going to require two things of us. We're going to have to submit to him and we're going to have to trust him. So Jesus describes what submission to him looks like in Matthew 16. He says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Saying in order to take Jesus' yoke upon yourself, in order to follow him, you have to deny yourself to the point that it's as if you are crucifying yourself. You're dying to yourself. You're no longer living for your own freedom, your own autonomy, your own ability to be in charge of your life. You're saying, I'm submitting my mind, my will, my heart, my affections to Jesus. 
And so if we're going to submit to him, we also have to trust him. We have to believe that, it, that our submission to Jesus is actually a good thing for us. And that's what Paul talks about in Galatians 2. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. And that, that's a beautiful picture of, of submission to Jesus. You have died alongside Christ, and it's no longer you living. But he says, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, our submission to Jesus, our trust for Jesus is never independent of Jesus' love for us. The reason it's a good thing to submit our hearts to Jesus, to give up our autonomy, to take his yoke upon us, is because he loved us enough to die for us. Like Paul says in Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ showed his love for us and that he was willing to die for us. So the question for us is, do we trust Jesus enough to take his yoke upon ourselves? Do, do we trust Jesus enough to actually submit to him? Because that's going to involve getting rid of our autonomy and trusting him with our lives. It's going to mean losing control of our own lives. And if there's anything that we all love as humans, it's control. We want everything to go the way that we want everything to go. Um, if you're looking for something to read this Christmas besides the Gentle Noli book, pick any book by C.S. Lewis and you're going to do great. But I think two of his best books are The Great Divorce and then The Voyage of the Don Treader. And in each of those books, there's these really, they have a, a key scene in both of those books that involve one of them. There's a lizard on the guy's shoulder who is, uh, represents his sin and his struggles. And in, and in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's this scene where Eustace, uh, one of the characters, turns into a dragon. Okay, and both of these, the metaphor that Lewis is working with is this idea that these people, this boy and this man, are enslaved to their own will. They're enslaved to their own sin. And no matter how hard they try to put their sin to death, no matter how hard they, uh, Eustace tries to scratch the scales of being a dragon off, they're never able to do it. The only freedom that they find is when they are willing to submit their hearts to, to Aslan, the Jesus figure, or submit their lives to the will of God. And it's only through that submission that the freedom that they're looking for comes. But the reason both those scenes are so powerful is because they both have this idea that you trying to do it on your own will never be enough. We can never try hard enough to earn God's love. That's the yoke of legalism. The beauty of the grace and the yoke that Jesus offers is that when we come to him, our problem will be fixed by his grace and his mercy, not our own effort. And, and so this is the problem that most people have with Christianity is that this idea of submission and losing control of our lives and giving it over to Jesus, that is a tall order and none of us want to do that on our own. And so we all know people, maybe some of you are here today struggling with Christianity and you're saying, I've tried this Christianity thing and I'm just not sure it's working. You know, I, I, mean, I grew up in the church, it didn't do anything for me, I'm going to bounce now because I have other things that are more worth my time. But the problem is, we, a lot of us have rejected Christianity without actually submitting to the Christ that we see in the scriptures. Okay, so there's a quote by G.K. Chesterton where he says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting it has been found difficult and left untried. I love that quote because that is a picture of all the people we know who have walked away from the faith. It's not that they took Jesus' yoke on themselves and found that it didn't work. It's they found the idea of taking Jesus' yoke on themselves would be more difficult than they were willing to bear and they didn't want to give up their autonomy so they left Christianity instead. Okay, that's the call of Jesus. If we're going to come to him, we come to him on his terms. We put his yoke upon ourselves. And then and only then, after we've submitted to him, can we do this next step. The next step, he says, when you take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Okay, you can only learn from a teacher if you are humble enough and submissive enough to submit yourself to them and what they're telling you. 
And so we will only learn from Jesus if we have actually submitted to him. But the thing I love about this passage here is it's so relational. He doesn't say, learn of me. He doesn't say, come to me, learn about me. He says, learn from me. It's this idea of being in a relationship with Jesus, not reading books about him, not hearing secondhand news from other people about who Jesus is, but you're learning directly from Jesus. You're going directly to the source. It's a, it's a, it's a firsthand account of who Jesus is, is what it means to learn from him. Okay, so this idea of learning the way of Jesus together, I think that's the best definition I've heard of what a church is. It's a group of followers of Christ who together are learning the way of Jesus. And so to be a learner, that word that they use as learn from me is the same word that we translate as disciple in other places. It means to to learn from Jesus, not in a books and head only way, but in a whole bodied, head, heart, hands, all of ourselves engaged, following him and learning his ways. A, A better word to understand this is this notion of being an apprentice. When Jesus says, learn from me, he's saying, come alongside me, be my apprentice and learn the way of Jesus next to me. So I, um, before I got into ministry, I, I, I worked for 20 years as a carpenter, which that's not a made-up number. It, it, it's easier to work 20 years at some job when you start when you're seven working for your dad. That's how my, my story with carpentry. But I apprenticed for my dad for 20 years. And so by the end of that 20 years, I was a pretty good carpenter. And it wasn't because I watched YouTube videos. It wasn't because I read a bunch of books about carpentry. It's that from day one, I was with my dad, apprenticing alongside of him, watching how he did it, being instructed by him, trying it myself, messing up, being corrected, fixing it, trying again, and doing a little better the next time. Okay, and that apprenticeship in carpentry is how I became a better carpenter. And the same thing is true for Christianity. It's that apprenticeship with Jesus, trying it, messing up, failing, being corrected, being uh, in community where they point you back to Jesus and trying it again and getting a little better the next time. That's what carpentry is. That's what Christianity is, just like carpentry or any other trade that you apprentice with. And so um, if you're doing an apprenticeship, you're not just learning the trade and how to do the trade. You're learning the, the ways and the reasons why we do the specific trade. So being an apprentice at Schultz Millwork means that you learn to do carpentry in the way that is in line with the vision of Schultz Millwork. Okay, becoming a Christian doesn't mean you're just learning to do religious things. It's you're learning the way of Jesus in line with how Jesus himself actually instructs us. And so you can tell who you've been apprenticing with based off of how you respond when things get difficult. Okay, so, so if, you're, if you're doing a carpentry apprenticeship and the job is on the line, the deadline's there, and, and you, you stain the cabinet and you realize this wasn't sanded good enough, we have to go back to the beginning, sand it over, and, and re-stain it. That, that's, a, that's a part of being an apprentice is learning how to do that correctly. As an apprentice of Jesus, we see whether we are apprenticing to Jesus or to the world in the same kinds of situations. When life gets hard, we reveal who we are actually apprenticed with. When we get passed over for that promotion, what goes on in your heart? That shows you who you've been apprenticing with. Okay, when, when, when that, that meal you've been working on, that, that event you've been trying to plan, when that's a flop and your heart responds, that's when you see who you've been apprenticing with. When you get rejected for that date, when you, your kids are, are stressing you out, all of those things are what reveals who you've been apprenticing with. And the invitation of Jesus is when you take his yoke upon you, when you submit to him, he's saying, apprentice with me. Come alongside me, learn my way. Put your, my yoke on you means you're learning from me how to do these things. So the natural question we all have to ask is how do we apprentice with Jesus? If the goal of taking his yoke upon you is to become his apprentice, what does it mean to be Jesus' apprentice? And it's actually incredibly boring and something we've all heard a million times. You apprentice with Jesus by being close to him and you're close to him by studying his word. 
The word of God is the word of Jesus alive and active, and it's how we see his character and his love for us. We apprentice with Jesus by spending time in prayer, by meditating and communing with him and responding to what we've read in scriptures and praying that back to him. Okay, we, spend, we apprentice with Jesus by being in community, by trusting each other enough to point out our sins and our struggles and our failures and remind us of the grace we have in Jesus. We spend time apprenticing with Jesus by reflecting deeply on our souls and what God has done in our hearts. Okay, all of those means of grace or spiritual disciplines are something we're all familiar with, but when we engage those as just a checklist to work through, that's not an apprenticeship. We're just doing the job without investing ourselves in it. But when we do those things, when we pray, when we study, when we fellowship with one another, with the goal of experiencing Jesus and his love, that's when our hearts are transformed by the grace that we encounter. Because okay, if we're not apprenticing with Jesus, we are apprenticing with someone else. Okay, Netflix would love to apprentice your heart. Okay, consumerism would love to apprentice your heart. Uh, materialism, media, news outlets, they're all vying for your apprenticeship. And they're saying, if you just turn to our news channel, then your heart will find what it's looking for. When Jesus is saying, no, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, and when you do that, you will find that deep soul-level rest that we're talking about. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. Okay, a, a soul at rest it's what we're all longing for. It's what every TV commercial is selling. It's what every worldview is offering. It's what every job promotion, it's what every relationship, it's all the things we're looking for is saying, I want my heart to be at rest, to be refreshed, to sense this, feel this sense of relief, to be fully recovered and ready for whatever's next. Okay, but, but a heart that's not at rest is a heart that's in turmoil. Uh, Jesus has already described that as a heart that is laboring and heavy laden. It's the one that's full of anxiety and activity. It's a heart, a soul that is in turmoil is, is burnt out, fed up, and ticked off all the time, which is a great picture of all of us this last year. Okay, our hearts have not been at rest. We're a soul at rest. Instead of that turmoil, a soul at rest is seen in the fact that we exude love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Those, those nine fruits of the Spirit that Paul describes in Galatians, that is a portrait of what a soul at rest looks like. And so you look at those two things, like do you want to be, you know, burnt out, fed up, and ticked off all the time, or do you want to be full of love, joy, peace, patience, all those things? Okay, our hearts long for that heart that is at rest, that soul that is at rest, but it always seems elusive, right? It always seems like it's just beyond our grasp, like we taste rest for a little bit and then we're back in the rat race and everything seems to go to crap again and we're struggling to find what to do next. And so the reason is because I think we struggle to answer this question because we're asking it in the incorrect way. Okay, in some sense, this is the second week now we're talking about this theme of rest. And for the last two weeks, I've been wrestling with what does it mean to have a heart at rest? How can we get a heart at rest? What I've realized this week is that question, how can my soul find rest? The reason that's hard to answer and that's elusive is because that's the wrong question. That's not what Jesus designed us to ask. That's not what he told us to ask. The question is, how can I find Jesus? And when I find Jesus, that is when my soul will find rest. Okay, so, so take the unrest that you're feeling and kind of work that chain backwards. Retrace your unrest. And the reason you're not feeling at rest is because you have not apprenticed with Jesus. I have not apprenticed with Jesus enough. My unrest means I'm not apprenticing with Jesus. I'm not learning from him. And the reason I'm not learning from him is because I haven't actually submitted to him. I, I have not taken his yoke upon me. And the reason I haven't taken his yoke upon me is because I have not come to Jesus. 
Okay, that's the chain that Jesus promises in this Matthew 11 passage is when we come to him, we will take his yoke upon him, we will submit to him, we will then learn from him and apprentice with him and the result of those things is a soul at rest. You can't shoot for rest by itself because that was never what we were designed to experience. We were designed to experience Jesus and when we experience Jesus, the inevitable result, what that produces is the rest that our hearts are longing for. Okay, that, that is a deeply relational thing where, where we, we are tempted to turn Jesus into a transaction. We're like, okay, uh, Jesus, are you going to offer me rest? If not, I'm going to try Buddha. If Buddha doesn't offer me rest, I'm going to try materialism. It's whoever can give me what I want, I'm going to go to him. Where Jesus says it's not about what he's offering, it's about who he is. It's this relationship. It's, that's why he says, come to me and he will give us rest. He says, learn from me and you will find rest. Those are deeply relational words. Okay, we used this quote last week from St. Augustine where he says, you have made us for your, our, yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Okay, that's the chain we need to work from is not starting with our unrest and trying to fix it, starting with a relationship with Jesus and saying, am I coming to him? Am I taking his yoke upon me? Am I learning from him? And then from those things, am I now experiencing the rest that he offers? And that's a scary concept though. This idea of coming to Jesus, we're putting all of our eggs in the Jesus basket. And if we don't, if we hold some of those back, what that's a sign of is that we have not actually taken his yoke upon us. We're, we're not submitting to him. You can't be halfway in a yoke and half out. And that's how so many of us try to live our Christian lives because we're trying to hedge our bets saying, if this whole Jesus thing doesn't work out, I want to make sure I had some fun along the way still. Right? I mean, like, it, I don't really want to die all the way to Jesus. I want to make sure that I still have some nice things to make me feel comfortable on my journey, those kinds of things. When Jesus is saying, no, come to me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. For, uh, and the reason we can do that with confidence is this promise of who he is. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. So, so we went out of order this morning because this is the most important thing. This is the hinge for why coming to Jesus is the most important thing that we can ever do is because he is the one who is gentle and lowly at heart. Like we've said before, this is the only place in the whole New Testament where Jesus describes his heart for us specifically. It's the only place where he says, if you want to know me, here's the two things you need to know. I am gentle and I am lowly. Okay, we, we have a, a good master. The reason we can have a good apprenticeship with Jesus is because Jesus is a good master. The reason we can take Jesus' yoke upon us is because Jesus is a good master. He is gentle and lowly. And that's what that book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, has been so helpful for. Um, so the, the, the word gentle, it occurs only three times in the New Testament. One of them is in the Beatitudes, where it's translated um, as uh, meek. And then in the triumphal entry, it's translated as humble. It's another place. And so Dane Orland, that author, he, he describes it this way. Gentle means meek and humble and gentle. Jesus is not trigger-happy not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. That's what it means for Jesus to be gentle to us. He's not pointing a finger condemning us. He's opening his arms saying, come to me. And you'll find the rest that you're longing for. And so the word lowly is actually very similar to gentle. It means a lot of the same things. Uh, it can mean humble and not arrogant. And so Ortland says the same, this thing. It says, the point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. The minimum bar to be enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply open yourself up to him. It's all he needs 
Indeed, it is the only thing he works with. Okay, that's been our prayer for this series these last four weeks, is when you think of Jesus, do you see Jesus as the most approachable person in the history of the universe? That his, his affection for you is so overpowering, the thing he longs for you more than anything else is just to come to him, to take his yoke upon you, to, to submit to him, not because he's a, an overlord who wants to, to have more servants, but because he's a good master who knows that what's best for you is taking his yoke upon you to learn from him to be his apprentice not to receive a bunch of marching orders but to come alongside him to apprentice with him to learn what it means to be his follower okay that's the kind of savior that is worth apprenticing alongside one who is gentle and lowly one who is humble who is meek who is all of those things and, and so the, the thing that we're trying to combat as Christians every week when we come to church is this gnawing feeling, this nagging feeling that says, I wonder if I'm not enough. I wonder if Jesus knew me as I actually am that he would reject me. And our prayer for this series is that we would see, no, Jesus knows the worst thing about you and it doesn't change in any way his affection for you. Jesus loves you not because of what you have done, but because of what he did on the cross when he died for your sins. Okay, and, and that S word, our sins, that is the thing that most often gets in our way and makes us think maybe Jesus doesn't love us. But again, the answer when we wrestle with our sins is to believe the gospel, is to repent and turn to him, to believe that his grace covers our sins. Okay, and this, this is part of the, the character of God that we need to lean into. Let's, let's look at one more Ortland quote from Exodus 34. It's where uh, God passes in front of Moses. Moses sees uh, God's glory pass by and God describes who he is as merciful and gracious. And listen to how Ortland describes this. He says, consider the words of Exodus 34, 6 through 7. Merciful and gracious. These are the first words out of God's own mouth after proclaiming his name, the Lord, or I am. The first words. The only two words Jesus will use to describe his own heart are gentle and lowly. And the first two words God uses to describe who he is are merciful and gracious. Listen to this. God does not reveal his glory as the Lord, the Lord, exacting and precise, or the Lord, the Lord, tolerant and overlooking, or the Lord, the Lord, disappointed and frustrated. His highest priority and deepest delight and first reaction, his heart, is merciful and gracious. He gently accommodates himself to our terms rather than overwhelming us with his. And so if we want to experience that rest that Jesus offers, the rest that he's inviting us into, we don't say, how can I go find me some rest? We say, am I coming to Jesus? Am I submitting to him by taking his yoke upon me? Am I apprenticing with him by learning from him? And when I do those things, I will find the rest that my heart longs for. And the reason that's an easy decision to make is when you really understand that Jesus is gentle and lowly, that he's affectionate for you, that he loves you, that's the easiest decision we can ever do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning, for the way that it shows us uh, your glory and, and, and how uh, beautiful you are. Lord, we confess that in our, our sin and our pride, we often think of you as, as harsh and demanding instead of as gentle and lowly. Uh, I pray that whatever lies the enemy has worked into our minds to make us believe something untrue about you, I pray that we would be challenged by your word we'd be confronted by its beauty and we would submit to it as our greatest good. So as we go to our discussion tables, as we process what it means to follow you, I pray that we would see that taking uh, your yoke upon us is the best decision we can make, uh, that coming alongside you as your apprentice is what our hearts are really longing for, and that when we do those things, we'll find the rest that truly satisfies our souls. And it's in your name we pray.
Amen. Amen. All right. Well, it's been so great to study this, these three verses uh, together as a church community. And I hope that these discussion times that we have after we study a passage uh, only uh, further uh, build fruit into our lives of what it means to follow Jesus, to take his yoke upon us. So we just have two questions today. They're kind of a summary of where we've been the last four weeks. So in your own words, what does it mean to apprentice to Jesus? And how can we be intentional with that this coming year? So if you think about an apprentice, like we described, in your words, how are you apprenticing with Jesus? And what are some practical things that you can do? And, and, and please, at your tables, get very specific. What is your plan for being in the scriptures? What is your plan for praying more? What is your plan for fellowshipping with other Christians? And what is, what is your plan for meditating and reflecting on who God says he is? And then secondly, what has this passage, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, shown you about the heart of Jesus? And how does it challenge some assumptions you have had about Jesus' heart towards you? So we'll do that for 10 minutes, and then we'll end with a time of uh, worship and communion and a bunch of, bunch of good stuff like that. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the fact that we get to have a relationship with you and that you are good, that you love us, that you, you guide us, you give us your word. And um, I just pray that especially going into a few scriptures over and over and over again these last few weeks that we would truly understand what it is that you're trying to show us that we wouldn't just simply read a couple words off of a page and go to work tomorrow and it not have radically changed our thoughts and our um, picture of who you are. Um, Lord, I just pray over the rest of the time that we're going to spend together here as we we take communion and we lift our voices in song. Uh, we, we share stories with one each other as we're walking out of these doors, Lord, that, that it would all be glorifying to you, God. We love you and we thank you. And now um, we just ask that you, you bless the rest of this service and the rest of our day and that you would give us courage as we, we go out into our mission field this next week. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Um, so as, as Colbert said, we're going to be transitioning into a time of a communion here. Um, and I, I want to kick it off with just a little bit of a, a small story. I won't, I won't take too much time on it, but um, this is a silly example. But I... Uh, I've seen this in a couple areas of my life, but this is one where I, it kind of really stood out to me when I was younger. Uh, I played high school sports, and as you guys could all imagine, I'm sure you're thinking, I, I know what sport he played. He was definitely number one singles in tennis. And so, um, anyway, I wasn't always number one singles in tennis. Uh, sophomore and, and junior year, uh, I was number three. And the number two and the number one seat both of their dads were tennis pros at, at local country clubs, and they were amazing players. And so practicing day in, day out, they would just tear me up. And I would get better and better and better and faster than I would have had I had somebody who was um, the exact same you know, level playing field of skill and whatnot. And you know, they were taught by somebody who knew more and had more skill than them. And because of uh, their knowledge and their ability, I was able to pick up on things, like I said, a lot faster than I would have. And so then I, I start to think about um, the yoke. Uh, it makes me think about, uh, like, just, you know, picturing the two oxen. And, and like Cobra was saying, you know, that, that uh, yoke around their necks, it, it guaranteed, it locked them in. 
but they would be it guaranteed that they would be walking side by side and accomplishing that goal. And so um, the image in my head that I have, and maybe I'm stretching this a little bit too far, but I think about Jesus's arm around my shoulders and, and my arm around his. And I think of like our, our arms kind of making that, that same shape of, of a yoke and, and um, just walking side by side with Jesus. Uh, and so as, as Colbert was saying, we, we think of the yoke and we picture the two oxen and we think that's hard work. But then picture yourself, picture Jesus's arm around your neck and yours around his and you're just walking together. And that seems like the exact opposite of work. And that, you know, that, that's you know, obviously the intention of, of these scriptures. It's just, it's a beautiful picture of, of the rest that we all want. Um, so I say, uh, it's it, the yoke that I want, obviously the yoke that we all want. And, and what I love to me is that it's not just for me, it, it's meant for all. Come to me, all. And so I, I want to kind of mention, you know, a lot of familiar faces here. It's a little bit dark from my vantage point. So if, um, if you're not familiar at Missio, we, we serve open communion. So uh, table over here to my left and, and my right. And uh, basically what that means is if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to the table. And um, if that's not where you would describe um, your life at this point, then... Uh, I would just ask you to envision that 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 picture of Jesus' arm around you and just taking a walk together. Um, he just asks you to come to him. Come to me. It's for each and every one of us here. And so if you haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus, um, you know, you, you can do so right there by yourself at your table. I'll be in the back corner. I'd love to pray with you. We can talk about anything. We can pray together. We don't have to pray, but we can just have a conversation. Uh, and that goes for anybody in here. If, you, if there's something going on in your life, um, or you just want somebody to pray for you. You don't even have anything specific, but you just want to pray together with a, a, another believer. I'd love to do that with you as well. So we're, we're going to be taking communion um, as, a, as a form of worship to our Lord, as a, a time to remember what it was that he did for us on the cross. Um, another form of worship is our giving in the back, a, a form of our trust in the Lord. Um, prayer, as I said, and uh, lifting up our voices in song. So if you would, please uh, stand with me and... And let's continue our worship of our Lord and Savior.